various dates have been advanced for the 70th anniversary of the ending of World War II. Is it August the 15th? Or is it September the 3rd? There should be no debate. In 1945, the Second World War formally ended on September the 2nd when Japanese representatives signed the Instrument of Surrender on board battleship BB-63, the U.S. Missouri, in Tokyo Bay. At 8.30am, Tokyo time, the destroyer USS Lansdowne came alongside the Missouri after carrying the Japanese delegation from the Yokohama dockside. Other destroyers had already arrived, bringing the American, the British, the Soviet Union, the Chinese, Australian, Canadian, French, Dutch and New Zealand delegations to the great battleship. The Missouri was an imposing sight, set amongst a massive fleet of no less than 258 ships from all the Allied navies, with Missouri's sister battleship, the USS Iowa, not far away, and the British battleships HMS King George V and HMS Duke of York nearby. It was a grey, cloudy day as befitted a sombre scene. The crew of the Missouri was crowded into every nook and cranny of the ship's superstructure, seeking to be a witness to a historical moment. The nine delegations took up their allotted positions on the veranda deck, thereafter always known as the surrender deck. It is still called that as the USS Missouri rides at anchor these days, now no longer on active duty, but on permanent display in Pearl Harbor. The last to arrive at the ceremony 70 years ago was the newly appointed Supreme Commander Allied Powers General of the Army Douglas MacArthur, together with the Chief American Delegate Admiral of the Fleet Chester Nimitz. MacArthur lost no time moving to the microphone. We are gathered here, he said, representatives of the major warring powers, to conclude a solemn agreement whereby peace may be restored. The issues involving divergent ideals and ideologies have been determined on the battlefields of the world, and thence are not at all for our discussion or debate. Nor is it for us here to meet, representing as we do a majority of the peoples of the earth, in a spirit of distrust, malice or hatred. But rather it is for us, both victors and vanquished, to rise to that higher dignity which alone befits the sacred purposes we are about to serve, committing all of our peoples unreservedly to faithful compliance with the undertakings they are here formally to assume. It is my earnest hope, and indeed the hope of all mankind, that from this solemn occasion a better world shall emerge out of the blood and carnage of the past. A world founded upon faith and understanding, a world dedicated to the dignity of man and the fulfilment of his most cherished wish for freedom, tolerance and justice. The terms and conditions upon which the surrender of the Japanese imperial forces is here to be given and accepted are contained in the instrument of surrender now before you. 
As Supreme Commander Allied Powers, I announce that it is my firm purpose in the tradition of the countries I represent to proceed in the discharge of my responsibilities with justice and tolerance while taking all necessary dispositions to ensure that the terms of the surrender are fully, promptly and faithfully complied with. Unquote. MacArthur then called upon the Japanese delegation, led by Foreign Minister Mamoru Shigemitsu, to sign the surrender on behalf of the Emperor Hirohito and for General Yoshijiro Umizu to sign on behalf of the Imperial General Headquarters. Before calling upon each of the Allied delegation leaders to sign, MacArthur himself signed on behalf of all the Allied nations in his capacity as Supreme Commander. As he did so, he made sure that two honoured though emaciated guests were standing right behind him. Lieutenant General Arthur Percival, who had signed the British surrender in Singapore, and Lieutenant General Jonathan Wainwright, who had signed the American surrender at Corregidor. Percival and Wainwright had been found in a Japanese prisoner of war camp in Manchuria, and MacArthur had had them quickly flown to Japan. MacArthur gave the two pens he used to sign the surrender to them. When all nine nations had signed, MacArthur briefly indicated the looming end of World War II. Let us pray that peace be now restored to the world and that God will preserve it always. These proceedings are closed. Peace be now restored. As the ceremony ended, the sun finally broke through the clouds as 450 B-29 heavy bombers and some 500 carrier planes flew overhead. But in 1945, no one glibly asserted that the war was already over. In 1945, everyone knew that the surrender on the Missouri marked one legal end of World War II while also wondering, would it, did it, mark the end of all the fighting? Soon after the surrender ceremony finished in Tokyo Bay at 9.25am, President Harry Truman indicated his doubt that it did. Truman spoke to the American people at 10pm on September the 1st, Washington time. Truman said, as President of the United States, I proclaim Sunday, September the 2nd, 1945, to be VJ Day, the day of the formal surrender of Japan. It is not yet the day for the formal proclamation of the end of the war, nor of the cessation of hostilities, but it is a day which we Americans shall always remember as a day of retribution, as we remember that other day, that day of infamy. Unquote. Truman already knew that Soviet leader Stalin was seeking a separate occupation zone in Japan, thereby perhaps hoping to create a North Japan, just as Stalin was already creating a North Korea. Fighting between Soviet and Japanese forces was still going on in the Kuril Islands and in Sakhalin. The Russians were heavily involved in Manchuria and there was plenty of continuing conflict and chaos in China in which American forces might become embroiled. 
There, there was also doubt about whether all the various Japanese regional commanders in the Pacific Islands, in Southeast Asia, in China, and elsewhere in East Asia would surrender promptly and obediently, as they had now been ordered to do by their emperor. There were, in short, so many uncertainties in the Asian situation that it seemed unwise to prematurely declare all hostilities ended. Thanks to Google's search engine linking me to the Truman Presidential Library in Independence, Missouri, I discovered that President Truman eventually signed and issued a proclamation confirming the final cessation of hostilities in the Second World War on December the 31st, 1946, 16 months after the Japanese surrender. With the advantage of hindsight, the Mazora ceremony not merely marked an end, but also a beginning, since there was one important long-term consequence of that brief speech, which we have just heard delivered by MacArthur at the surrender ceremony. It gained little attention at the time, yet it is, when carefully considered, a truly remarkable piece of oratory and diplomacy. Certainly neither Eisenhower nor Montgomery nor any other general in the European theatre produced anything as striking or as far-reaching when they accepted German surrenders in Europe in May 1945. MacArthur received no advance instructions on what he should say at the surrender. His words were the more remarkable when set against the intense bitterness and deep racial antagonism which the war against the Japanese had engendered, starting with what the Americans still regarded as the treacherous surprise attack on Pearl Harbor. Read the late William Manchester's war memoir, Goodbye Darkness, or E.B. Sledge's With the Old Breed, an account of ferocious fighting in the small island of Peleliu and later in Okinawa, and one becomes aware of the sheer savagery of the fighting in an all-embracing military conflict. MacArthur himself had just witnessed the brutal street-to-street, house-to-house, floor-to-floor fighting which destroyed so much of Manila as the Americans fought to retake the Philippine capital, culminating in MacArthur seeing his own pre-war library being destroyed by fire in the wreckage of the Manila Hotel. Then there were the very heavy casualties for the Americans as the Japanese forces fought to the death over Iwo Jima and Okinawa. Knowing all this, it would have been easy to anticipate that MacArthur would offer the Japanese a far grimmer prospect than freedom, tolerance and justice. Many thought at that time for the Japanese a dose of distrust, Malice and hatred were definitely in order, especially after the horrendous state of Japanese prisoner-of-war camps gradually became obvious. Yet while Truman in Washington still saw September the 2nd as a day of retribution, of revenge for Pearl Harbor, MacArthur on the Missouri as clearly saw it as a day for reconciliation, for a new beginning in US-Japan relations. One fascinating story brilliantly testified to the tremendous impact that MacArthur's words had that day on the Japanese. One of the Japanese delegation was a diplomat, the late Toshikazu Kaze, who wrote a memoir in 1950 entitled Journey to the Missouri. On September the 2nd, Kaze had to immediately write a report on the surrender ceremony for Shigemitsu to take to Hirohito. In that report, Kaze dwelt, quote, 
at length on the superb address of the Supreme Commander, and I raised a question whether it would have been possible for us Japanese, had we been victorious, to embrace the vanquished with a similar magnanimity. Clearly it would have been different. Shigemitsu told me that when he read that, Hirohito nodded with a sigh in agreement, unquote. But also with the advantage of hindsight, one cannot help wondering what would have happened on September the 2nd, 1945, if the technical advances of today had then been available. What would have happened if the surrender speech had been telecast live? As it was, the only way to see history happening in Tokyo Bay was through brief newsreels in cinemas weeks and even months after the event. Live coverage of 24-hour news in the climate of 1945 might well have increased pressure on MacArthur to pay much more attention to retribution and less to reconciliation. Without live coverage, MacArthur was free, particularly in the all-important early days of the occupation, to pursue reconciliation. But live internet-related coverage might have had another consequence. It would have politically sharpened the Truman-MacArthur political conflict years before the Korean War had that same effect and ultimately resulted in the general's dismissal by Truman. Overall, after the surrender, MacArthur was relatively free to pursue a policy of reconciliation, thereby laying a solid foundation for a U.S.-Japan alliance which, despite many vicissitudes, has continued strengthened from that day to this. Stalin, by contrast, sought retribution both for the defeat in the Russo-Japanese War and the Japanese intervention against the Soviet Communist Revolution. Russo-Japanese relations have remained clouded by suspicion and the two nations have yet to formally end the Second World War with a peace treaty. But as China endlessly pursues verbal retribution for Japan's Greater East Asian War on its territory, and as Japan becomes increasingly unwilling to provide it, Sino-Japanese relations threatened to create crises which could end East Asian stability. Tokyo and Beijing urgently need to relearn the old political lesson taught so well by MacArthur on the Mazora that magnanimity in politics is not seldom the truest wisdom. <laughs>